is the big ponder. Let's play a word association game. I say German, and you say humor. I'm guessing humor is not the word that immediately came to mind. After all, many consider German comedy to be an oxymoron. A survey of 30,000 people in 15 countries, done a decade ago by the social networking site Vadu, actually found Germans to be the least funny nationality. As an American who is half German and lives in Berlin, I find such assessments to be what's the word? Oh yeah, funny. I asked several experts for their insight, which of course led to a joke. I mean, when you said that the podcast is gonna be about German humor, I was like, okay, that's gonna be a short one, you know? <laughs> What I'm gonna say, I can understand that. That's Carmen Schreim, the Lebanese German comedian who lives in Berlin, believes language plays a role in why Germans are perceived as unfunny. I don't know. I think maybe they have their own humor that other people don't understand. So it could be quite dark or quite specific, especially with their language. They have like lots of specificities with the verbs and the words that they use, and that's why yeah, maybe other people don't yeah, understand what they mean. Nicola McClellan agrees. She's a professor of German at the University of Nottingham in the UK, who specializes in linguistics. I apologize for the sound quality of our call, which was not the best. English allows loads of puns because we have no case endings, very few tense differences, and that means we have lots of flexibility where words can sound the same as each other in English, more so than in German, where you might have to put a particular ending on to show that it's plural or, or that it's a dative case or it's, this is feminine and not masculine. It's third person preterite tense. All of that information is carried more explicitly, so it's not so easy. That's not to say that Germans don't have any puns. They certainly do. I asked the professor to share a few. Okay, so uh, here we go. Geht ein Cowboy zum Friseur, kommt wieder raus, ist sein Pony weg. So there's a nice pun, and it's around the word pony. And excuse me for my delivery, like there's a reason I'm not a stand-up comedian. Um, a cowboy goes to the hairdressers, comes out again, and his pony is gone. Right, so pony is a pony. We all know that in English, but it also means uh, your fringe. You know, it's maybe not the wittiest joke out there, but it is a pun. You can do puns like that. Or treffen sich zwei Kekse. Da sagt der eine, komm, verkommen wir uns. Two biscuits meet each other. One says to the other, "All right, let's go and get crummy," which is a way of saying let's get out of here. So you can do those puns, but they sort of rely on the same word form having the same um, function in your pun so that is a little bit of a limit mcclellan says there's also a behavioral aspect to the disconnect it's really common in uh, english that when you meet someone for the first time or if you're giving a talk you might sort of warm up the room by beginning with a little gentle joke and i'm not sure that's so typical in german And therefore, people who start off speaking in public often start off really seriously, or it seems to an English-speaking audience, really serious and uh, perhaps lacking in humour because they haven't taken that opportunity that we're expecting in English. So that's kind of the, the unwritten behaviour rules, if you like. German comedian Christian Schulte-Lowe, who splits his time between London and Berlin, says that whatever the reason for the notion of the humourless German, it has advantages too. So I guess we are funny, but we have a reputation for not being funny. So that can work in our favor because we can surprise people. If a German is funny on a mediocre level, 
they are still funnier than everybody else is expecting them to be. So that's good. There's even a German Institute for Humor. Part of its mission is to show that Germans do have a sense of humor. But founder Eva Ullmann says the fact there is humor in Germany doesn't mean her countrymen always know what to do with it. We are very good in making things quite perfect and on time and be reliable. Humor, on the other hand, is sometimes not reliable. It's a surprise. It comes from where you don't expect it. So I have the feeling that countries like Spain or French or or countries in South America who are a little bit more relaxed with time and not on time are sometimes better with humor. Based in Leipzig, her academy teaches Germans across the country to employ humor in their daily lives. In business and in daily life or in family life, for me, humor has several advantages. Um, It's attracting attention and it can de-escalate conflict. And that's, I think, probably the most uh, two important things. Um, And it doesn't matter if you're in a business meeting or in school or if you have a conflict with your partner, with your child um, or with with a, a customer or a colleague. One such recent training was at a multipurpose hall in the western town of Hennef, where she coached workers at the local youth welfare department. In one exercise, Ullmann tells them to break off in pairs and use exaggerated gestures and words to describe their hobbies to each other and make them funny. She says in her case it would be swimming three hours a day, to which her partner might quip, you swim so much you could work, make phone calls and do your reading while you're at it. Ullmann adds, yeah, that and sex and a massage, too. (laughs) Learning to be funny may be something new for many Germans, but watching comedy is something they've done for centuries. A lot of German humor is farcical. Karl Valentin, who is sometimes called Germany's Charlie Chaplin, brought that kind of absurdist humor to the screen in 1912. One skit he did in 1934 is called In the Record Store. Valentin walks into the shop and asks the clerk whether she has any new records. She asks him what kind. He replies, round and black. Their nonsensical exchange escalates from there. But with the advent of the Third Reich, German humor largely disappeared. The Nazis cracked down on anyone who dared to mock them. They arrested Jewish entertainers like Max Ehrlich, Kurt Gehron, and Dora Gerson and sent them to the Nazi death camps. Many non-Jewish German comedians refused to perform during the Hitler era in protest or out of fear. There wasn't much to laugh about in Germany after World War II either, as Germans struggled to rebuild their country and reinvent themselves. Telling a joke back then was a bit like tiptoeing through a minefield. German comedians couldn't easily do what good comedians are supposed to do, which is deliver uncomfortable maxims that stop short of being offensive. Comedians in what later became East Germany faced additional hurdles— The German Democratic Republic banned any criticism of communism and socialism, strictly controlling literature and the arts, and forbidding its citizens from consuming Western entertainment. Ullmann explains. 
In GDR times, uh, most of the uh, comedy programs were censored. So there was a level uh, everybody could laugh about, and there was a a level underneath uh, where you really had to think about. So in my point of view, it made the humor and the comedy universe um, more complex. It's never possible to forbid uh, humor. It doesn't matter how difficult a culture or a country gets. Mostly humor finds its ways. So also in the GDR times. The German Institute for Humor founder says like many East Germans, her family ignored the GDR taboos on comedy. I grew up in GDR times, so I remember my dad buying secretly uh, comedians from other countries that we could listen to. So uh, humor in the picture and in the talk was quite important for my family. The reunification of Germany in 1990 ended the bans, and the passage of time has eased German discomfort with jokes about their history. Ullmann says these days, younger Germans are demanding a different approach to humor. First we do the work and then we have the fun. That's changing for now. Uh, younger generations and younger people are expecting fun at work because they're spending so much time at work that they at least want uh, that time having fun too. New German trends in humor have emerged, the most significant being live stand-up comedy. German comedians like Schulte Loh began crossing borders and delivering their jokes in different languages. Here's the best tech I think that I've, uh, I will ever have heard in my entire career. I was at the Edinburgh Festival last year, I did my solo show there, and I told a joke that I would call a bit edgier, a bit darker, a bit closer to the bone, and that joke then led to the best heckle I've ever heard. Here's the joke. Don't get upset about the joke. It's not about the joke, okay? Just promise me that. <laughs> now, <laughs> but I have to tell you the joke in order for you to understand the heckle, obviously. So here's, here's the joke. I said that I'm becoming more and more proud of the changes our societies are going through. You know, Britain, Germany, the European Union. Germany, for example, alone, because we're becoming more multicultural, all of us. Germany alone last year took on more than one million refugees. You know, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, well, out of national guilt, obviously, right? So one million down, five to go. That was the joke, right? Now, <laughs> I told you, don't get upset about the joke. Now, now that joke then led to the best heckle I've ever heard. First, somebody shouted from the back of the room some, something that you hear quite often as a comedian when you tell a joke like that. The person shouted, too soon. Well, if, it's, if that's the main problem with that joke, you know, it's not really, there's other things wrong with that. And then I replied, and I thought that's a bit childish, but I thought it was, well, at least funny. I said, well, if it's too soon for you, how about a dinosaur joke instead? <laughs> and I must say, he did have the better comeback. He shouted, well, you probably killed those too, didn't you? That was from a show he did last year at the Comedy Store in London. I later asked him in Berlin whether there are still subjects that are off the table for German comedians. So I think there are no taboos. But at the same time, there are taboos, if that makes sense. So it really depends on context. And like in every conversation, you know, certain things can only be said in a certain moment or in a certain tone. A difference, for example, is that in Britain, the audience expects you to be very self-deprecating first before you kind of like, you know, hit out and, and kind of like joke about others. And um, I guess that is a good rule of thumb, you know, just like try to be self-deprecating first. The first joke should be on you not necessarily you as a person, but your culture, your country, your background, whatever. In Germany, when I started in Germany, which was 10 years after I started in English, I thought it follows the same formula. So I'd have to be self-deprecating at the beginning of my performance, at the beginning of my set. And I did. But then people were looking at me like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, don't put yourself down. You're okay. You know, you know, and they had like kind of sympathy. 
And I was like, ah, oh, okay, so that's the difference. So Germans don't need that. They don't need you to be very self-deprecating before you start doing other stuff. But are you able to do, let's say, I mean, Nazi jokes still draw laughs overseas yeah, 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 anyway. Yeah. Are you able to do that here mm -hmm. in Germany? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you have to. I mean, like, you know, Germans love a good Nazi joke, of course. And the Brits love a good Nazi. I think everybody does because obviously it's such a big, it, it's such a, still, it throws such a big shadow over Germany that you have to joke about it, of course. But now there have been so many Nazi jokes over the last 75 years, probably over the last 30 years, really, that um, they better be good. If you do one now, it better be good, you know? It's the same for everything. If, you, if there is a topic that has been talked about so much, you need a better joke than if it's a topic that nobody has joked about yet. Then the joke can be, you know, just a mediocre joke. How do you see German humor evolving? You talked about how things are different now, that it's a lot of stand-up, but I'm just wondering if you can elaborate a bit on that. Now it's more international. Every product is becoming more international because of globalization, and the same goes for comedy. And now the younger generation, they watch English-speaking comedy on the internet, obviously, so YouTube and, and, and all the other platforms, and social media, of course. Like German kids would already know who Bill Burr is or who, I don't know, like some English comedians as well, I don't know, Jimmy Carr or Michael McIntyre, and they will have seen those clips. So that changes two things. One, they will have seen some very good stand-up before they go and watch stand-up live in their own language. So their bar is set quite high, which means their expectations are high, which is then very different. And comedians won't be able to just steal jokes from abroad because or buy them. There used to be a time when there was no English-speaking comedy in most countries worldwide. And then those local comedians could just buy material from America or Britain or other countries and then use it in their language, translate it and use it there. And that's kind of over with because now people will know where the original joke came from. And that has changed a lot. So the quality has gone up a lot because of those two factors, I think. And um, obviously that's terrible for us because we have to be even funnier, but it's good news for the audience. And is uh, English humor or English delivered comedy more successful in Germany or German comedy? Well, I host, uh, in Germany, I host German shows and English shows and I do both. And I feel that the German audience who comes to an English night, they're really up for it, really, really up for it. German audience who come to a German night are also up for it, but they're not that hungry. It seems like there's like an appetite for English-speaking comedy, and they're really, really up for it. They're fans. They're proper comedy fans. Whilst German um, audiences are just audiences. They come along as they would go to the cinema or other places. It's just more like a normal thing. Um, but when you see those comedy nerds, you know, they would go to an English-speaking show in Germany and you feel the difference, obviously. So it's nice. It's very refreshing to see people who are actually really, they, when you do a, a setup, they know the punchline, if it's, if it's, even if it's, like, if it's a different punchline, but they come up with their own punchline, they think ahead. And that's good. Obviously, it's never good if the audience knows your punchline because then it's not a very <laughs> good punchline. But. Berlin became a draw for many comedic newcomers, as well as immigrants like American Daniel Stern, who regularly does stand-up gigs here. Here is part of his recent performance at comedy club Kukabura, a two-decade-old venue that is a pillar of Berlin comedy and popular with Germans and foreigners. Hey, look, has anyone here tried to learn German? Do we have any expats who've tried to learn German ever? Yeah, yeah? okay, yeah. You look, like, is that like you kind of tried or you kind of learned it or... I mean, how many times have you quit learning German, sir? Five or six. You've been here at least five or six months. That's great. How long have you been trying to learn German? Four years. Four years. Right, okay, this is perfect. So my wife's pregnant with, with my, my second child now, right? 
So I've been trying to learn German for 11 years. In four and a half years, do you know what we managed to do? Grow our own translator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget what I mean. You're like, I, yeah. Raising a child in Germany is easier than learning the language, right? And it's, I know some of you are like, a kid, isn't that a lot of responsibility? No, it's not, not at all, right? Every Monday, Kita opens, you know, it's state-funded daycare, right? Kita, it's a German compound, it means like, kinder, ta-da! Uh, and then you just bring your child there and they raise it for you. It's, Oh, wow. And like, okay, and uh, as an American, like a lot of Americans are like, oh no, but like, I know what's best for my child, and I wouldn't want to do that myself, and I wouldn't trust a stranger, and I'm like, what? I trust, and that, that's partially because in America, the way you become a childcare provider is you get fired from being a fry cook, and then you're like, this is what's next. And to be fair, like, I had great daycare teachers. Like, I'm not, like, some of them were amazing. They were bad fry cooks, they fell into the right line of work. But here, I drop off my kid, and these people have like master's degrees in early childhood education. I'm like, they know better than me. I mean, I've been in Germany for 11 years and I can barely get through a sentence in that language. Like, I don't know. Any and I'm not one of those expats who's like trying to blame the German language because I don't know it. Like, I'm not, you know, I got off the plane. I was like, uh, why is there a capital S in street? Strabi? Is that right? That can't be right. Uh, there's a German audience. Like, das ist nicht dein Bay. Nicht dein Bay. And I know I don't know what it's called. I used to I used to call it the SS. That was wrong. Uh, no. I said I was like, that's not a fun name. I gave it a fun name. I called it the water slide. It's just like wee. It's like fun. It's not. Uh, and uh, no, I mean, come on. I'm from America. I wouldn't know my own alphabet if it didn't come with a catchy jingle. But like, how good is that song? It's like it's a classic. What's the best part of that song? Yes, LMNOP! There's a hundred people here, how can one person know that answer? It's LMNOP, that's the guitar solo in the middle of the alphabet song. And it's, it's American, you know, so they're good with marketing, so they always end it with like, Next time, won't you sing with me? Like, oh, yes, I'll do that. I, I mean, okay, German could help me out a little, they could give me like, a German alphabet song. Um, and I don't mean like cramming your weird alphabet into my awesome song because, guys, Ypsilon does not fit the rhythm. Stern and I talked about how the German capital's comedy scene has grown during his 11 years here. The distinction in humor in recent years was that Berlin was one of the first places where you saw DIY, grassroots, English and German comedy scenes evolve, where people said, wait a second, we just need a microphone. Like, let's do this. We don't have to go through any gatekeepers. We can start a show. We can learn to do this art form and we can share it with people and it can expand. I moved here. There was, I think, one show a month, you know, maybe two. And then it became a weekly show. There was a Paul Salamone, Caroline Clifford founded something called We Are Not Amused. Uh, Neil Numb was producing shows back then. There was a lot of people doing this, but this scene evolved and it spread from here really around Europe, in my opinion. Uh, certainly around Germany, and it spread from the English to the German scene as well. So German stand-up now has a lot of new voices, diverse voices, some of whom started in English even though they're German and are now performing in German and being incredibly successful and not having to go through the route of mainstream or codified gatekeeping that existed before that was the who would book a theater, who would get an agent. Now it's who's funny a little bit more 
And that's really important to stand up, that it, it, it maintains a sort of that there should be some level of meritocracy involved at all times, that at any given night, someone can get up there and be really funny and be rewarded for that, at least in from the audience in front of them, if not for the next gig. So is comedy in English something that's more, let's say, that something you would find in Berlin or Hamburg or big cities in Germany, and then for the rest of Germany, it's more in German, or is there overlap? You find English comedy in more and more cities in Germany and across Europe every day. Anyone who's under, let's say, 40, and I say that as a 41-year-old, um, has been consuming English comedy on Netflix and YouTube. Like That's part of the reason why you saw German comedians starting in English is they were emulating their favorite comedians who were, who were in English. And that's not to disrespect. It's just that's what happened to happen for those performers. Um, so, yeah, that's just spreading. Now, getting enough people to fill a room or having the confidence that you can fill a room in a little town, I haven't tried that hard to, like, go book a gig somewhere in a city of I can't even tell you the name of, but you're going to see it. Or you're going to see an open mic where it's one of the, you'll see one comedian at a mixed open mic and it's going to evolve from there. But also, I think you'll also see more German stand up as well in those little places. And that's that's just fine. It's, you know, like it doesn't have to be in English to be stand up. And, um, and, and it's important for German to evolve its own stand up traditions which, of course, there have been German stand-up comedians, very successful, very popular for a long time. And, but there are some that are more uniquely German, I think. And sometimes there are some that are copying sort of rhythms and patterns from other languages. And then there are some which are now evolving like sort of a new German comedy, which is sort of another distinct language in my mind. I'm not a scientist. Carmen Schreim does stand-up in four languages, although she's most comfortable in English and French. I went to see her on a recent night at Space Medusa Club in Berlin. I'm going to be the next chancellorin of Germany, our country. Yes! Yes! Thank you! That's my vision for our country, Deutschland, which is Germany and German. For some reason, they decide to change all the letters. I don't know why. Uh, that's, that's my vision. Uh, Arabs are now living here, and Arabs are going to get to know Germans. Germans are going to get to know Arabs. We're going to have, like, eye contact, sign language, smiles only from the Arabs. <laughs> and eventually, like, Arabs and Germans are going to have Geschlechtsfikke. You know this word, Geschlechtsfikke? Note it down, yeah, Azerbaijan. Geschlechtsfikke, sexual traffic, yeah? <laughs> like, literally. If you come, you have to be beep, beep, yeah? <laughs> We're gonna have, it's going to be really intense, aggressive sex. Can you imagine Arabs and Germans? <laughs> intense, right? Gonna have really awkward, safe words like falafel and shit. Yeah, it's gonna be very intense. And then eventually, people are gonna get pregnant, right? And then the next generation of baby Arabic Germans are just going to be handsome. That's all what's gonna happen. Relax. Come on. Can you imagine little Mahmoudi Schmidt all over the place here in Kozman? Mahmoudi Schmidt, everybody, the future of Germany, all right? Mahmoudi Schmidt, imagine him, Laura, with me. Mahmoudi Schmidt, yeah? Brown skin, blue eyes, serving you hummus in a passive-aggressive way. Oh, my gosh. We later talked about her international audience and why English-language comedy is so popular in Berlin. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like the audience grew a lot. Uh, I guess like in 2013, we, we didn't have so many people. But then like, given that so many expats live here in Berlin, and that English is one of the main languages spoken here, we got a lot of audiences. And at the moment, there are like three different clubs just dedicated for English comedy in Berlin this year, which is like a lot. Yeah. Well, when you came, there was only one mic, basically. For- there was, yeah, one or two or something. Like, well, there was on Sundays, there was an open mic for all kinds of arts. And then eventually, one op- another open mic started on Tuesdays. And then, yeah, things started, like, growing with more and more. But I think booming, it, like, began in 2019 when we were, like, able to perform, like, three times a night. Yeah. So what are the challenges for you as a Lebanese person, as a as a Arab person here in Berlin trying to do comedy in English or any of the languages that you speak? What are what are the the obstacles that you see? Uh, okay, so uh, as an Arab, maybe I wouldn't say a, a, a obstacle, but I would say maybe breaking up the stereotypes that people might have about Arabic women. So I guess when I first come on stage, like you wouldn't say automatically, oh, she's Lebanese, so I have to state it. And then directly, like there are many maybe stereotypes that are in people's heads that get broken up. So getting them to accept me like I am and to like accept my personality and build up my persona while I'm performing um, is an obstacle. So I, I maybe I need more time in order for them to come closer to my my bubble. So you think being a woman is a challenge as a comedian? Definitely, yeah. Definitely, yeah. I mean, mostly when I perform in open mics or in shows, I'm like one one woman between five men or six men, which is not a problem. Uh, I get more opportunities as a woman because, yeah, there's always like needs to be at least one woman in the show or something. Uh, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, it is, it's more difficult, I guess, because maybe humor started with men. So people immediately associate that to men. And maybe some people, it's more difficult for them to find women uh, funny. Schreim adds the shortage of women comedians is a global problem, not only a German one. She and the other comedians I spoke to say the future of stand-up comedy across Germany is bright. But what about that pervasive notion of the unfunny German? I asked Schulte Lowe whether that will ever change. I think it's probably our best joke that we have no sense of humor. So we want to keep it. We want to keep it. It's our USP. You know, it's our unique selling point. Who would we be if we had a sense of humor? We would completely lose our identity. And that would be so boring and not funny at all. Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and thank you for listening, and I hope laughing. A big thank you also to my colleague Dina El Sayed for producing this Big Ponder episode and our partner, the Goethe Institute, which made all of it possible. The music was Latin by Crow Wander and Lemoncholy by TKP. been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of The Big Pond that make this series possible.